Hey everybody, welcome into episode number 115 of Tone the Slab, Pitching with David Cohn. We talk pitching with the five-time World Series champ David Cohn, the research ace James Smythe, myself Justin Shackle, and producer Dan Work with us as well, and we've officially come to the starting line of the baseball offseason. So that's a good place to begin, but we're going to be putting a bow on the World Series in the 2023 season as well. David, James, how are we doing today? We're doing great, man. We're going to kick into the offseason now. Now all the questions about uh, you know, what's next on the calendar, free agency, you know, uh, how do you change your team, and then offseason. All these topics we're going to be talking about all offseason. Doing fantastic. It was a fun 2023 season going all the way back to the WBC, the Otani Trout Showdown, regular season playoffs. Hats off to the Rangers, too. All right, now, now a, a small slice of transparency for uh, for our listeners, our viewers from us here on a toe in the slab, we took a gamble here because all three of us felt that this World Series was absolutely going back to Arlington. It was going to go back. We a lot of us thought that this was going the distance between the Rangers and the Diamondbacks. What did I do? I took the liberty to, to take a trip to Paris, get a little R and R here after a, a long regular season, postseason. I spent five days in France, and what happens? The Rangers decide that they don't want to go back to Texas without the World Series trophy in hand. So they end it. They take it in five over the Diamondbacks. And that's why we're a little delayed with getting our reaction here with the World Series. But all in all, hats off to the Rangers. And I know it was only five games, but the Rangers did what they had to do. And David, I guess this accentuates, hey, home runs rule in October. Well, I mean, yeah, this was kind of the series of, uh, you know, the old school, new school battle. I mean, a lot of the small ball advocates were coming out of the woodworks uh, in, in in praise of Arizona style of bunting, sac- straight sacrifice bunting, man on first base, the second base, um, you know, the, the base running, the stolen bases, Arizona stole seven bases to uh, Texas, only one. And, you know, it really did kind of bring those kind of people out to the forefront. But as it turned out, at the end of the day, it was the big home run. That was the difference in the World Series. And six out of the 10 championship win probability added events of the World Series were home runs. And two of them were double play balls as well. So starting at number one, obviously, you got to think back to Corey Seager's big home run off of Paul Seawald. That was the number one championship win probability added event of the World Series. And as I said before, uh, the home run ruled uh Texas ended up with eight home runs. Arizona only hit three. Texas, they they rode the long ball during the regular season. They scored 43% of their runs on homers, the 11th most home run reliant offense in the league. Then they went from 43% to 53% in the playoffs. They scored more than half of their runs on the home run ball. And that's historically significant. That's the fifth highest rate of scoring on homers in any postseason by a World Series champion. And the interesting thing there, too, is that the last three champs, the 2021 Braves, the 2022 Astros, and the 2023 Rangers, are all in the top five, along with a couple of the uh, 1950s Yankees teams when they only played the one round. But whether it was the Rangers or the Astros last year, the Braves two years ago, the home run will carry you because it's instant offense. It's harder to string single after single against top flight pitching. You know, the Diamondbacks, they slashing and bunting and running. 
that's great. That's a, it's a, an ex, it's an exciting style of play. Maybe it helped them get out over their skis a little bit and kind of punch above their weight. But at the end of the day, the home run ball is the, the most powerful event in the game. Yeah. On a pitching centric podcast, the, the home run represents the opener here following the world series. So it's uh, tested and it is true for sure. And the Rangers won because they did what they're good at, right? They, they hit the home runs. Also, some of their big-name pitchers added to their reputations. Nathan Avaldi coming through uh, again. And it doesn't hurt to have some veteran names deeper into your rotation. I think that's part of what led to the Diamondbacks tripping in the middle of this series. You know, after Gallon, after Kelly, you obviously had Brandon Fott, but they couldn't match the Heenies, the Grays that the Rangers were able to put out. Those, those, that veteran experience, I think it says something here, and uh, it's partly why the Rangers were able to wrap this up in in five games. So let's let's put a bow here on the World Series and then get into the offseason, guys. Really uh, open ended question to start us off: What will be your your lasting thoughts about the pitching from this World Series? Yeah, I guess uh, the, the lasting thoughts is that there's always unsung heroes, guys that you don't really, uh, you know, uh, going into the series that you think, oh, wow, this guy's a huge part of it. But when you think about uh, some of the unsung heroes, okay, let's let's go on the Texas Rangers side. Did you think that John Gray would play a big role in this World Series? He did. He was huge. Did you think that uh, maybe uh, we did mention Andrew Heaney? getting some big outs. He did. He had a, uh, Andrew Heaney had a one five nine ERA. John Gray was zeros across the board. So to me, it's always in those situations, somebody who comes up big. I'm certainly Nathan Avaldi was, was great, but he gave, he got nicked around a little bit here and there, even though in the last start, you know, he, he pitched around some base runners and was able to pitch out of some jams. So certainly Nathan Avaldi's postseason resume continues to grow. But to me, it's it's those unsung heroes. You know, I mentioned David Weathers in our last podcast about big outs that are that are that are kind of gotten by guys that you didn't think were going to be a big player. That's always the case. And and that's what I think about here. When I think about somebody like a John Gray or an Andrew Heaney in in that situation, I think they got big outs in big spots that kind of, you know, were, were, were big difference makers. Coney, you took the words right out of my mouth because I have written down here, heroes can come from anywhere. So you mentioned John Gray and he was great. Game three was a real swing game. Arizona might've taken a little momentum back with a game two win, series shifting to Arizona. Max Scherzer leaves after three shutout innings. John Gray, who might've been a, a big factor in game four, all of a sudden he has to come in, in game three, he pitches three shutout innings, Rangers win. And they and they're off and running from there. But uh, the guy I'm highlighting, Josh Spores, five five zero ERA, which kind of overstates his struggles from the season. He was really good for most of the year. It was really uh, one terrible week right before the All Star break, and then about a six game stretch in in mid August and early September when the te- the whole team was in free fall. But a five five zero ERA, and then in the playoffs, zero point seven five ERA, twelve innings, only four hits allowed, one run, thirteen strikeouts and the seven-out save in the clincher. Who would have ever thought that Josh Spores would be closing out the World Series when we started the 2023 season, but he was fantastic. And it goes to show a lot of these, it takes a village. You know, in in other sports, you know, Patrick Mahomes can carry you to a title or Giannis or whoever. In baseball, your your star players, you know, Nadolis Garcia, Corey Seager, they're only coming up one out of every nine times. So you need other guys to fill in. And on the pitching side, it – it really does take everybody to to pitch in and, and and win it all. 
even at the beginning of this postseason, when you started to see like Leclerc really clicking and the Rangers bullpen answering for itself, you still didn't think it would be Josh Spores throwing the final pitch of this season. It felt like he kind of got stronger as October went along. Uh, you know, he, he tossed six innings against the Astros in the ALCS, gave up just the one run that he allowed the entire postseason to the Astros in the ALCS. After that, in the World Series, uh, six strikeouts, three and a third scoreless. So yeah, Josh Bors, is, as far as unsung heroes, he's going to be a name in Rangers lore forever, no matter how the rest of his career goes in Texas or in the big leagues. Big piece to a world championship. And again, with a with a guy with a five and a half ERA in the regular season, poor week or not, that's there. But so is his reputation for the Rangers here in, in 2023. I, I'm going to go a little off the beaten path and it doesn't have to do with a specific player. And we're going to touch on this in a, in a few moments as well in, in the aggregate of the season. But to me, as far as the World Series goes with pitching, the pitch clock wasn't even shown on the TV screen during the games. So I didn't even realize that until I read Tom Verducci's column uh, that that told me that Fox did away with it. That was a, a pretty interesting decision for Fox and the TV production side, but it, it proved to be a, a good one. Nobody noticed. So uh, think about where we were during spring training, guys, at the very beginning of this season as well. So many people were conjuring up all these worst case scenarios with the pitch clock and how it could affect the gameplay. And guess what? None of it happened. None <laughs> of it happened. So just keep that in mind when some new rules are introduced in the future. Don't fully drown yourself into the sticker shock of a new idea. Give it some time to breathe here. Uh, I think the pitching clock was a slam dunk for 2023. It's a great point. Uh, and I think that's exactly the way major league baseball wants it. It wants it to be like in the NFL, a, a delay of game call that you just sort of brush off your shoulder when it happens. And it's part of the game. And, you know, I, I know another thing that major league baseball would like to do away with the strike zone box in front of home plate. I don't think that's going away, but I think they'd like to see that done away with as well, because it shows you so much about where the, the strike zone is. And, and that's probably the most uh, probably controversial thing of the world series in terms of umpiring is, you know, the, the, the highlight on the, the individual strike zones of each uh, uh, individual umpire and how it can vary from umpire to umpire. Uh, a lot of it is because of that box and we see every pitch and we analyze every pitch that was two inches outside. And you know, that that's, that's part of the game now. And that makes you wonder moving forward, is there going to be some sort of a challenge system or a hybrid system in terms of balls and strikes being called or being helped? automatically in some way shape or form moving forward but you're right Shaq I mean Major League Baseball deserves a lot of credit for the pitch clock it is wildly successful and the fact that we didn't mention it once in the World Series really is testament to that fact so the Rangers grabbed their first title in their existence uh this is a team that came into existence in 1961 they win their first championship here my question is as we looked ahead to 2024 which team that's never won a World Series could follow the Rangers in 2024 and capture their first title? There are only a handful of teams here. I'll list them for you. It's the Padres, the Brewers, the Mariners, the Rays, and the Rockies. Who would you bet on there? Well, I am a big fan of, of the Seattle Mariners and their pitching staff. And uh, we've talked about that all year long. They were one of my favorites really all year long. And I'm not going to vary for, I'm not going to sway myself from that. I think they have a, a chance to really move forward. I know they're going to be very active in the offseason to to add to their weaknesses and maybe some more offense here or there. 
But that pitching staff is for real, especially that starting pitching staff. And that puts them head and shoulders above a lot of other teams in the big leagues that are looking for starting pitchers. They have a great starting rotation right now. That's going to keep them in it. That's going to continue to give them opportunities. And sooner or later, those opportunities are going to pay off. I'm going with David's Mariners. You know, as much as I would like to say the Padres, it's there's a little too much uncertainty right now if they're going to if they're going to pull things down, if they're going to run it back and give one more bite at the apple, I'll go with San Diego. But until we get a better idea of what they're looking like uh, come spring training or start or opening day, I'll, I'll steer clear of them for now. And the reason why I go with Seattle over Tampa Bay is that I'm a little more confident in Seattle investing more in the team. And if they're, you know, a piece or two away from really taking that step up, uh, I think that Seattle would, would do that in Tampa Bay. It seems like they're always, you know, two steps forward, one step back because they're up and down with uh, whether it's trading guys who are getting closer to free agency or not re-signing players. So I think uh, I'll go with Seattle there. And uh, unfortunately for the, we'll see if the Brewers, you know, take a step back with without Stearns or maybe even Craig Council. I think we can all agree that we put the poor Rockies fifth on that list of five teams that have never won a title. Yeah, I would all I would. five, all five of Seattle starting pitchers are above league average. The entire rotation is that league average or better. Uh, and their their overall ERA was number one in, in the American League. So, yeah, it's the pitching. Obviously, it's a pitching mm-hmm. podcast, right? <laughs> so uh, it's it's the pitching stupid. And Seattle's got it. <laughs> Seattle definitely has it. I wonder if they trade from it. I wonder if they trade from an area of strength this offseason. That's one of the things that you want to focus on with the Mariners. I, I agree with you, James. I think. I'd have more faith in the the Mariners being proactive and establishing their chances with you know a, a you know the the quickest way to get what you want is a straight line, right? If you ask me who who do you have more faith in the Mariners or the Rays walking in a straight line, I'd say Seattle. But I'd also think that the Rays, uh, I have more confidence in Tampa Bay in the Rays getting it right. Like whatever move they make, they nail it. So for me, yeah, the Mariners, the Rays are the two realistic choice choices for me here. And I'm going to go with the Rays just because both of you went with Seattle, but more, more importantly, like Tampa Bay's shown more consistency the last several years. And I don't know um, if the Brewers and the Padres, dare I say, even the Mariners can get to October. Like it's not an automatic here. I'd feel pretty comfortable in saying that the Rays will get to October regardless of of the makeup of the roster. They're going to find a way there. The Mariners had this pitching, and what happened? They they missed the boat on the final day of the season. I'm not saying you you don't learn from that, you don't improve from that, and they definitely have the raw ability to, to do it. But if you're asking me right now, as we start the offseason, I'm going with, uh, with, with Tampa Bay here. More Tone of the Slab is coming up. People, I need to tell you about a special offer from DraftKings because the NFL season is is officially here. We've partnered with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official partner of the National Football League, to bring all new customers an exciting way to join in on the action right now. New customers, download the DraftKings app, use the promo code SLAB, S-L-A-B, fetches five bucks, and boom, $200 in bonus bets hit your account instantly. That's right, new customers who bet only $5 will get $200 in bonus bets Instantly, staying on the action, use your $200 in bonus bets on DraftKings parlays, combine multiple bets together for a shot at an even bigger payout. 
If sports betting is not yet available in your state, don't worry. You can still get another fun with DraftKings Daily Fantasy, where they offer cash prize contests for nearly every sport. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. New customers use the promo code SLAB. Again, S-L-A-B. Bet just five bucks on any wager and get $200 in bonus bets instantly. That's promo code SLAB only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Back to the pitch clock, guys. Scale of one to 10. Rate the first full year of, of the pitch timer. What do you think? Well, I think it's 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 absolutely a home run for Major League Baseball, without a doubt. Even though, uh, you know, at first there, there were a lot of concerns. And even as we mentioned before, as you said, Jack, that we thought, well, what about a big game? What about postseason? What about a, a game deciding pitch clock, uh, you know, situation? It never happened. It knocked a half hour off the games. And to me, the most important part, too, was how many times this year, guys, did we look at each other in a long slog of a game and go, you know, this would have been four and a half hours last year. It's only three hours and 10 minutes. The really the really long games, you know, where, where it was an ugly game. And we looked at each other and go, wow, it's, it's last year. It was a lot longer game last year. I think the proof's in the pudding on that. Uh, the, the, the biggest difference. In, in the pitch clock was in those type of games. There was less of those three and a half hour type games this year than that was the biggest drop uh, of all, all the games was, was those, those type of games that were slogs that took so long that were cut probably at least a half hour off of those games or even more. Scale of one to 10, 10, 10. I've been a pitch <laughs> clock zealot for a few years here, uh, seeing how it was working in the minors and, even I anticipated more problems with it early in the year, and we didn't really have much. So looking at some of the numbers here, uh, the pitch timer violations went down every single month from March and April, 0.72. It dropped every single month all the way down to 0.27 in September. So that's basically one violation every four games. And 65% of all games this season didn't have a single violation and i'll get into the time of game and all that but it just in a general sense it just felt like normal baseball the the games had been dragging too long too much dilly dallying between pitches now it's pitcher gets the ball throws batter stays in the box it's just it just feels like it's going back to the game we all grew up watching and so 2023 the average nine in the game was 239 which is 24 minutes shorter than it was a year earlier and in the shortest since 1985, when it was also 239, uh, there were eight times as many games that were 230 or shorter than there was last year. And 2022 had more than 26 more, 26 times more games going three and a half hours or longer. So you had about under 4% of games go two and a half hours or shorter in 2022. Now it was about one third of games, 30%. And those really long slog games Coney, over 10% of games were three and a half hours or longer in 2022. This year, only nine, <laughs> nine, nine inning games total went three and a half hours or longer. And it's just, it just the pace of play was, was just very brisk. And, you know, it, sometimes you get a long game, you know, if you have an, a, 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 a game where a lot of stuff is happening and it's nine to seven and it's up and down, you're not worried. You're not caring how long or short the game is, but what you don't want is uh, a, a, an ordinary four to two game to just drag on and on for no reason. And 
I think the players credit to MLB and Rob Manfred and, and for pushing for this, but also most importantly, credit to the players. You know, there was some grousing early on, but it was really a non-issue and they got on board. And for the most part, they acted like there was nothing wrong with it. So you had every World Series game that was a nine inning game this this year. It was they were all played in less than three hours and twenty minutes. And I'm like, if if you, I kept thinking about this. If you, if we didn't have the pitch clock this year, and one of these games approached four hours, right? People want to talk about the ratings and how it was a boring matchup. Look, we're gonna watch it regardless because it's our sport. We love it, but. I, you know, it would have, what would we be talking about now? What would like the mainstream media be talking about regarding the world series? If you did have one of those slogs between the Rangers and the diamondbacks in a nine inning game, it would, it would be shedding the wrong type of, of light uh, for the sport. So I think in many ways it, it, it rescued baseball at, at a, at a great time. And also for the majority of pitchers, I really think it brought out the better, a better version of them. I mean, you could point to right at the top with Garrett Cole, not thinking as much on the mound. I don't know if you know he'll fully admit that, but I think that they've definitely played a part in in him having the type of season he had. So I I think it it brought out the best in the majority of players on the mound this season. Agreed. No, it's true because you know the the game's always been a copycat sport on on all levels. And just speaking from experience, I can tell you when I was in those long games. And I was on the mound. Everything slows down because you've given up so many runs that you tend to slow the game down yourself. So the pitch cat, the pitch clock certainly pushed relief pitchers in those big, those slow games as they were developing to continue the pace. And that's why James said there was only nine games, only nine after, as opposed to 10%. That, that really jumped out at me that, that last stat that, that James threw out there. Only nine games were over three. Was that three and a half hours, James? I guess. Yep. Yeah. Nine just, nine inning games that were three. That and is half just long. remarkable. I think we had nine of those in nineteen ninety-eight in Camden Yards alone between <laughs> between the Yankees and Orioles back in the day. <laughs> so I would give it a ten to uh James. I don't know. I think there's a, a large portion of our audience who probably doesn't get your your tan reference, your Billy Bob <laughs> reference, which is kind of sad. Um, David, do you get do you get that? <laughs> no, I missed it. Right uh, over, right over. <laughs> Varsity Blues. Yep. Yeah, there you I'm go. Surprised there you, you go. got it, Jack. There you go. Very yeah. nice. Very nice. Okay. Sadly, it's uh, <laughs> it's it's like right a, over <laughs> a generation's past. David's caught in the middle. All good. All good. Uh, guys, we learned over the weekend from the pitcher himself, and we're talking about Clayton Kershaw here. As he announced on Instagram, he underwent shoulder surgery that will likely keep him out of action until next summer. Uh, the Dodgers have a lot of work to do with rebuilding their pitching staff, the bullpen, their rotation. Kershaw was already going to be a free agent. It, it felt like fan complete that he and the Dodgers would would reunite here. That may be left up in the air now with this situation. With the Dodgers themselves, the amount of work they have to do with reestablishing their pitching staff for 2024, do you think the bulk of that happens via trade or free agency? Uh, I think free agency, especially when you consider the fact that, uh, you know, people are very much in tune to the Japanese professional baseball leagues now and how credible they are and the, their success of the WBC. Even if you look at the success of recent history, Kodai Senga with the Mets, 
kind of having such a great year in his first year. And everybody and in the past, people were sort of worried about the transition. It takes a while. Hey, wait, the baseballs are smaller. Uh, it's going to take a while culturally for these players to adjust. That's no longer the case, I think, as it was even 10 years ago. So, yes, when you have a kid like Yamamoto, that's going to be uh, uh, probably just sought after greatly. And there, there might be others to follow, too, as well. I think um, that's something to follow. So free agency is going to be a big part of it. Uh, including, you know, I, I think that that's even going to extend even to the Korean baseball professional leagues as well, as more players are getting more credibility as the, the more success they have in the major leagues that internationally speaking, uh, the, it, the game's going to continue to grow, especially in the Asian, Asian uh, professional baseball leagues. You know, the Dodgers always a, a big spender and everything, but I'm going to go trade in this for this one, because I was surprised looking back in the, in the last four or five years in under Andrew Friedman, the Dodgers don't really make a lot of big free agent splashes for pitching. Uh, 2020, their their signings were Alex Wood, one year for four million, Blake Trinan, one for 10. 2021, they brought Trinan back, four years, 25 million. And then one bigger swing, Trevor Bauer, three years, 64 million. That didn't work out. 2022, bringing back Kershaw, one for 17. Andrew Heaney, one year, eight and a half million. Tyler Anderson, one year, eight million. Daniel Hudson, two years, 12 and a half. And then last year, Kershaw, bringing him back for one more year, one year, 20 million. And Noah Syndergaard, one year, 13. A lot of one-year deals, a lot of stopgap stuff, a lot of, a lot of lower tier sort of pitchers. So I'll go the trade route. Now you can look at that and say, well, maybe they've been buying their time. You know, they've, they've spent big on position players during that same stretch. Maybe now they can shift to the pitching side of the market, but I'll go trade. Yeah, I'm with you, James. I, I think I think they have to explore more trades here. And it's wild to think that the Dodgers can sign someone like Shohei Otani because they've been linked to him forever. And they could sign Otani and their pitching issues for 2024 won't diminish. But if if LA is going to sign Otani, I don't know how that affects their spending elsewhere. None of us do. So if they get Otani, then right now. I'd be saying it absolutely needs to be through a trade. Like if the Brewers decide to reload, do the Dodgers have enough prospect capital to go out and get an arm like Corbin Burns if it becomes available? What about Tyler Glass now? Pittsburgh's uh, Mitch Keller, maybe David Bednar there. Um, maybe one of the, the Mariners controllable starting pitchers like we were talking about. If I'm LA, I'm checking in on every front of the rotation starter that we think could be available in a trade. I think that's the route that they have to go here for, for 2024 and rebuild quickly with the pitching staff. Uh, David was alluding to the Asian markets here. Oryx Buffaloes officially announced that they will be posting Yoshinobu Yamamoto. How likely is it that the 25-year-old is signed by a major league team before Christmas, guys? Yeah, this bidding is going to be outrageous for him. He's 25 years old in the middle of his prime. He has been heavily scouted. You know, and as I said before, uh, you know, even though it's going to cost a lot of money, uh, that's all. It's just going to be cash. So I really anticipate that this might get dragged out a little bit because there's going to be so many teams involved uh, in the bidding on him. Now, I'm not sure exactly how, you know, I'm not up to date on how the posting rules are and, you know, what what window of opportunity there is in that that situation. But I do know this. There's a lot of teams that would covet him, a 25-year-old that throws at the upper 90s with a disappearing splitter and a pretty good breaking ball package to go with it and has been quite obviously the best pitcher in Japan 
at 25 years old for several years now. So yes, he's a unique uh, kind of an outlier talent. Uh, this might take a while because everybody wants him. Well, um, once a player is posted, they have 45 days to negotiate with a player after he's posted. This is from MLB.com. If no agreement is reached in that time frame, the player returns to the MVP club for the coming season. Now that overlaps with uh, with uh, Christmas. So we we if some if he signs in the early part of that window, he'll sign before Christmas. But there's a chance this could this could go beyond that. And just looking at some of the uh, Japanese signings from years past, you see uh, Hisashi Iwakuma, Yu Darvish, Masahiro Tanaka, Kenta Maeda. They all signed in January, but more recently. Shohei Otani, December 2017, December 8th. Yusei Kikuchi, December 2018, New Year's Eve. So he, he's after the line. And then Kodai Senga last year, December 10th. So I think it'll come in right around, around then, um, you know, give or take a week before Christmas or a few days after or whatever. I think, I think uh, this will go right down to the wire. So I'm going to go after Christmas for that one. I think it's going to happen before Christmas, but right up against the line. Like one team's fan base is going to have an extraordinary holiday season. Uh, I think I think it could happen. Uh, I you know sometime between the winter meetings and the week of Christmas. I think teams have been preparing for this. I think Yoshinobu Yamamoto's camp they've been doing their homework. I don't think this will drag out into January here. All right, this is a busy week. We have GM meetings. We have uh, qualifying offers. The deadline for that. You also, over the last coming days, you've had players either have their options picked up or decline, themselves picking up or declining their player options. Pitchers that we know at the moment who have opted out of their team options or uh, opted out of their player options, I should say, or had their team options declined. Very complicated with the word is here. Um, but this automatically means the next uh, – pile of players that I'm about to spew out here. They're all free agents. Marcus Stroman, Michael Waka, Eduardo Rodriguez, Lance Lynn, and, and Wade Miley. Which one of those pitchers would you want pitching in your rotation the most? Well, it's it's not just a question of which pitcher's youngest or which pitcher has the longest career uh, left or which pitcher's going to cost the most. So when you factor in all of those uh, variables, you know, one guy I think who's undervalued, even though he's up against it age wise and certainly possibly injury wise, but Michael Walker to me is a lot of value. Uh, this guy's a good pitcher. He knows what he's doing out there. He's got a parachute change up. He really spots his fastball in and out. He really knows how to pitch. So I don't think he's one of those guys that lights up the metrics, you know, or analytics departments. When you look at the quality of his stuff, I think uh, when you, the fact that he he is such a good craftsman and he knows how to sequence his pitching pitches so well that he's an undervalued asset in my mind. So when I factor in all those variables of, you know, cost, how much he has left, durability, um, what he brings to a staff, you know, I, I'm, I'm intrigued by Michael Walker at this point, even though a lot of those guys, you know, the other guys on the list probably are more prominent. Uh, maybe going to make more money, obviously have more left in their careers. You can make an argument all the way around this, but yeah, you know, I'm making my argument for Michael Walker. Cause I'm just, I'm kind of a fan of his and his style of pitching and the quality of, of the craftsmanship of, of his pitching. You know, Walker is really underrated. And I think it's because he's not a 32 start 180, 200 inning guy. He 20 he's in the low to mid twenties and starts 
each year, 120, 130 innings, but they're really quality. You look at the last two seasons, 2022 with the Red Sox and 2023 with the Padres. He had a 127 ERA plus in both years, 27% better than the league average pitcher. Credit to him. Uh, I think he'd be a, a welcome addition to any team. I'm going to go with Eduardo Rodriguez. Uh, he he was a little bit under the radar too because uh, he threw 152 innings. He's, he's not going to show up on on you know league leaderboards and all that. But he had a 3.30 ERA and uh, very little run support on a uh, struggling Tiger team. But 13 and nine, three three zero ERA. He's the youngest of this group at 30 years old. Uh, at the end of this season, and uh, Waka 31. Stroman 32, and then you get into the age 36 for Lynn and Miley. Miley had a had a pretty solid year himself, but uh, I'm going to go with Erod, left side for that one. I'm with you there. Uh, I think they're mostly all limited when it comes to what they can give you in in innings, uh, but I do like most of them for what they are. And teams, if they're being with, honest with themselves, like what what they could be with, with what their plans for these pitchers would be. But I think Eduardo Rodriguez could provide the most upside in the middle of a rotation. I will go with Rodriguez, but David, you brought up Michael Walker and it presents an interesting, I, you know, thought here. If you dig a little bit deeper into trying to figure out what the Padres were thinking here, because they declined Waka's club option, which was for two years, not just a one-year option. So he had two years and 32 million left 16 million per year for Maybe, a, you know, essentially a number four starter, a number five starter who's going to give you quality. If the Padres don't find that valuable, a pitcher like that at 16 million per, what does that say about the direction that they may be going in when it talks uh, about all the financial uh, questions surrounding that franchise? That That's the big question with the Padres. That's what everybody wants to know. Where are they going? What's happening? With their revenue streams, it's all about the local revenue, as we've said before, and then the uncertainty and everything. Um, also, they have inside information, too. You never know. Every organization knows their players or should know their players, including their medical history, better than anybody else. So maybe they know something that uh, the, the rest of the industry doesn't know. Uh, you know, Michael Walk has had some injury issues. Every pitcher, to a certain extent, is going to be uh, suspect on you know how much time you have left or whether or not uh, you're pre or post Tommy John surgery. Do you have an elbow history or a shoulder history? Big deals uh, to have in, in, in inside information in that regard, and that that probably goes to the heart of, of, of Stroman as well. I thought Marcus Stroman was a perfect fit at Wrigley Field. That heavy sinker ball at Wrigley Field when the wind's blowing out, keeping the ball on the ground perennially a high ground ball guy lead up or near the top of the league leaders in ground ball rates. So I'm not sure what his injury history is as well. The, the Cubs certainly know, you know, what happened with him and, and how healthy he really is and whether there's some red flags in his medical file or not, but that's the key. Uh, the inside information is really key uh, in, in terms of determining, you know, who you want long-term or not. Well said. And a uh, great point, Shaq on, on Waka and perhaps writing being on the wall as far as where they're going to go this off season. With this being the case, maybe the phone rings a little louder for uh, Juan Soto. That could be true. Uh, David brought up a great point. I'm never going to let it pass me up to to drive it home. Maybe your team, you know, you guys listening out there, maybe your team knows something that you don't. Always keep that <laughs> in the back of your mind. And with that, we're going to transition to some Yankees chatter because along the same lines, we have been waiting to hear from the Yankees since their season concluded way back on October the 1st, over in, in Kansas City. Maybe it was October 2nd. Getting the days confused first. here. 
It was the first. Okay, I was right the first time. Um, we've heard about the outside audit with their analytics department. We've heard Hal Steinbrenner speak at a at a sports conference, a Sportico conference, but we've we haven't heard them address the media. We're going to get that this week from the GM meetings. I'm wondering, guys, though, with all the chatter that we have heard for the Yankees leading up to the end of the season and what we haven't heard since the season ended, will we, and I'm talking about the public here, will will we ever know what changes that the Yankees made to their baseball operations process after what happened in 2023? I think we will. I think we, and maybe not to the full extent of all the changes they make, but yes, I, I do believe that uh, Hal Steinbrenner is going to be more proactive than he's ever been. We also know that Aaron Judge is in direct contact with Hal Steinbrenner, that he's taken a very active role in expressing his opinions and and Garrett Cole as well. And I think I, I find that as, as a positive uh, development. That's exactly what we did back in the 90s with George Steinbrenner. You know, whether it was... Uh, you know, uh, Derek Jeter, or uh, I remember them talking to George myself about in the offseason about different things and different ideas that we can do both on and off the field. So, yes, I think it's, it's, it, we will know. We will find out at least some of it. And some of these guys are pretty high profile, you know, in terms of the analytics department. You're going to know if guys aren't around anymore. You're going to know if there's changes made up and down the analytics department from the top. At least, at least from the top members, maybe not all the way through the organization because it is extensive. You have different, you know. That's why I always, uh, I always, what ruffles my feathers more than anything else is when people say analytics is ruining the game. The big boogeyman. Uh, there's so many different variations within under the umbrella of analytics, whether it's the biomechanics part, the medical part. Uh, there's so much data that 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 never even gets that we never even hear about or never, some departments never even get to. So to me, it's really about the delivery of that data. And that's what Aaron judge was talking about. We've mentioned this before, but it bears repeating. And when Aaron judge comes out and says, maybe we're looking at the wrong numbers or maybe the communication process between all of this advanced analytic data uh, and the players, how that gets translated, how that gets transferred to the players is really the question here. Uh, it's not the data itself. It's the interpretation of that data and all of these ideas and recommendations, how that gets delivered to the players and whether they're buying in or not. That is the whole key. If you're not buying into it, then you can have the best data in the world and it's all for naught. It gets blown up in the process because the players don't buy in. And if you've got a problem with the players buying in, then you've got a pro problem with who's delivering that data to the players, all that information. Right. And I think we'll see, we could see some information, you know, on the surface, you know, if there's a cleaning of the house or whatever, well, yeah, sure, that'll come out. But as far as the under the hood, behind the curtain, seeing what's really in there, we don't really see that from any team, really. What numbers are they looking at? You know, what 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 is weighted more than others? So it is a little bit of a black box for every team. But as far as whether or not we'll see if there's any changes made, I think it'll be made pretty obvious, like you said, Coney, if there ends up being, um, you know, changes made in the organization. Yeah, sure. One thing that we do know, they're going to have a new hitting coach. So, well, you know, that that's at least one thing that we're definitely going to find out on with Sean Casey uh, not returning. As far as player personnel goes, and this was a topic that we kind of 
touched on a, a little bit earlier with the players that could be coming over here from some of the Asian leagues. Do you think the Yankees, and I mean, this is straight up yes or no question. So that, that's the type of answer we want here. Do you think that the Yankees will add one of the three players from the NPB or the KBO that are expected to be posted? You have Yamamoto, who's going to be posted. Then you have an outfielder in the KBO, Jung-Hoo Lee, and another pitcher, Shota Imanaga from the NPB. What do you guys think? Yes or no? Yes, I do. I think they're very involved. I mean, we saw Brian Cashman actually go over and scout Yamamoto in person and saw, saw him throw a no-hitter So and saw the reaction on his face in the stands. We actually have video of Brian Cashman you know, scouting in person. This particular pitcher, who's probably the best pitcher on the planet right now that's not in a major league uniform. So uh, do I think, you know, the, the last question is, you know, you could say, you know, will the Yankees get one of these guys? They're definitely going to be uh, in the running. They're going to make significant offers for these guys. Now it comes down to where they want to play, which market they're going to choose. Because you mentioned before, uh, Shashi Nobu uh, Yamamoto can go anywhere he wants. If he wants to be a Dodger, he'll be a Dodger. If he wants to play in Boston, he's going to play in Boston. He can kind of choose his spot where he wants to play, you know, unless he's just looking for the top dollar and he's going to maximize his value, then, okay, now we have a bidding war. Could it be, could it be Queens? You know, all of a sudden, uh, that, that does, uh, does the owner in Queens say, you know, I'm going to get in on this and you never know. He's the wild card here, but yeah, well, you know, to answer the question and, Yes, they're going to be in play for some of these guys. They're going to make significant offers. And I'd be surprised if the Yankees don't get one of them. The Yankees usually get their guy. You know, you think, think Garrett Cole. When, when, they, when, when Brian Cashman goes after his white whale, they, he usually gets him. Yes, and I hope so. Uh, I've pounded the table for Yamamoto before. He's unique in that, yes, he's probably the best free agent pitcher for 2024. He's also super young. We don't get 25-year-old free agent pitchers here in the States. Yamamoto is the same age as Spencer Strider, and he's hitting free agency right now. So we, we know he's a great pitcher. We'll see how he translates. But even beyond Yamamoto, you know, Shaq, you, you sent the, this question before, and you know, I did a little digging into guys like Young-Hoo Lee and uh, Shota Imanaga, and I'm pretty impressed. So Lee, a 25-year-old outfielder, uh, hit 340 with a 491 slug in seven seasons in the KBO. He's won five Golden Gloves. That's like our Gold Gloves here. Makes sense. Uh, so he's a, he's an excellent defensive center fielder. Uh, he was Rookie of the Year in 2017, League MVP in 2022. But last year with the Kiwoom Heroes, he hit 318 in 86 games, but he broke his left ankle in July, and that ended his season. But he should be all systems go for coming over to the States in 2024. So he's an interesting one. And I love this. His dad is a legendary player in Korea. Uh, and he his nickname was the son of the wind. Son of the wind. So Jung-Hoo Lee, he's grandson of the wind, which I think is just a perfect <laughs> fit. Uh, and, and then you go to the pitching, shot, pitching side, Shota Imanaga, 30-year-old lefty. Uh, you might remember him from uh, his start against the United States in the WBC. He looked impressive. And how about this season with the Yokohama Bay Stars in 2023? He had a 2.66 ERA. And check this out. 159 innings, 188 strikeouts, and only 24 walks. That's unbelievable. 
And he's left-handed. So yeah, and he was aggressive. So yeah, he might, he's kind of living in the shadow. It's a great point, James. He's kind of living in the shadow of Yamamoto right now, but yeah, a veteran lefty like that, that throws strikes and, and misses bats. You, you watch out for him. Yeah. And he, he's not a, he does not uh, appear to be billed as a, as a top of the rotation guy, the way Yamamoto is, but he seems like a pretty solid uh, consolation prize as someone who projects as more of a two, three starter. Yeah, I think we'd be talking about Imanaga a little bit more if Yamamoto wasn't in the picture. Uh, but yes, I believe that the Yankees will get at least one of these players because I think, like David said, like like James said, they're going to make a very concerted effort to go after these players. And then it's going to be up to the players and how the Yankees offer stacks up against some of the other teams. But I'll be honest with you. I know Lee fractured his ankle. It was keeping tabs on him for much of this season. But once it you know, became clear that the Yankees outfield picture was as grim as it was during the 2023 season. You're looking for alternatives. You're already looking for next year. To me, Lee represents a better gamble that's more worthwhile. Again, this is me. I'd rather spend the money on a player like Lee than potentially have to give out a six, seven, or dare I say an eight-year offer to a player like Cody Bellinger. I think Cody Bellinger is really talented. He's going to most likely become attached to the qualifying offers. So remember, if you're a team like the Yankees, not only are you taking a gamble with a long-term contract, you're also going to be giving up a lot more because you are one of the luxury tax payers. Uh, you are one of the sinners with luxury tax. So you're going to have to give up, I think it is a million bucks in international spending money and two of your, not tippy-top draft picks, but two draft picks. So think about how the Yankees think, right? Are they going to be signing a player to a long-term deal like that and giving up excess international spending money, draft picks. I think Lee could be a shrewd choice there. Obviously not going to command as much money. He's definitely going to get a nice contract, going to get a good bag. But I think Lee represents at 25 years of age, a, a worthy gamble for a team like the Yankees in finding an outfield solution. Grandson of the wind, huh? <laughs> <laughs> what a nickname. That is great. That'd be really good. Uh, qualifying offers coming out over the next 24 hours from when we're recording this. There's going to be a lot of news coming out over the next week to 10 days or so. So, um, we're, you know, we're going to definitely be with you. Uh, GM meetings happening this week. Anything you guys, as we close out this episode are, are eager to find out as the off season gets started. There's a couple of things right off the top of my head. I mean, I'll, I'll go with six managerial vacancies to start off when, and we haven't even begun the, the GM meetings here that that's striking to me, but anything that's uh that, that has you guys eager to try and get an answer to. Well, the center of the universe is Juan Soto right now for me. It's, it's what's going to happen out there in San Diego. What is their financial situation? There's so many rumors swirling around the organization, a potential reporting on a $50 million loan that they took out to cover payroll in September. I mean, there's so many different stories about their revenue streams and the state of their finances. Where does that put Juan Soto? Because he is a generational talent and he holds up everything because there's a lot of teams that would love to have him in the middle of their lineup. And that's, that's going to be a trade that's going to include several prospects as well. So to me, that that's really, you know, when, when, when he gets resolved, then he he's kind of the big domino this year that's going to impact the entire market. Soto, obviously looming over, as you said, I think that's more of a longer term sort of thing, you know, maybe by the winter meetings uh, next month, but as far as maybe not anything imminent in the next like week or two, uh, good call on the manager uh, vacancies, six jobs there, Shaq. 
So Angels, Astros, Brewers, Guardians, Mets, Padres, a, a bunch of different types of teams, teams that might be rebuilding, teams that might be ready to, to jump back into the race. The Astros, the Mets, what's going to happen with them? The question marks around the Padres, is, as we've said with Soto, uh, and, you know, something a little more uh, immediate as, as I'm a history guy. So, you know, the awards, awards coming out next week. So I'll be uh, keeping an eye on that. So we'll have uh, next week, 13th, 14th, 15th and 16th of November. You'll have the rookies of the year, the managers of the year, the Cy Youngs and the MVPs coming out. It is award season next week. These managerial openings too, they, they kind of act like dominoes. I think one affects another. I don't, I can't recall another period where so many vacancies have that domino effect with, with one another, like Craig council's decision could impact a whole bunch of teams. As far as the off season trajectory goes with the status of Milwaukee mainstays like Corbin Burns. So there's just a small slice of like how this domino effect works with managerial vacancies. We don't often associate it with that. We're often talking about players like Juan Soto. So there's a lot to dissect as we get started here with the offseason. Uh, we'll be with you the entire way. We'll be putting out new episodes. Again, the offseason is here, so we're going to keep you up to date uh, at least with one episode a week, maybe more with news as it trickles in. But uh, guys, congrats to the Rangers, and uh, we are underway with the off season. Looking forward to spending it with you guys. Sounds good. Stay tuned. That's going to do it for this episode, everybody. Subscribe to the YouTube channel so you don't miss whatever we are putting out and streaming each and every week. For David Cohn, for James Smythe, for our great producer, Dan Work, I'm Justin Shackle. We will talk to you next time on Tone the Slab, pitching with David Cohn, a production of John Boy Media.